right, I'm doing something different today. We're going to fly by the seat of our pants. Okay, we're just going to let see how the Lord leads us in this story. I don't have have my little notes that I always type out because I'm so so tight with that. I always think that I have to have all of this, but most of the time here lately, I've been wandering off of those, and Tanya's shaking her head. It's it, I've just been letting it kind of flow, and I thought, well, let's try that today without the notes, and maybe it'll go a little bit better. But if you would, we'll start out in Matthew 1, and then we're going to go to Genesis 38, so if you want to mark those. But has anyone ever traced their genealogy? Oh, I see several hands going up. Someone did mine for me as a, as a Christmas present one time and, and, and gave it to me, and they took it all the way back to the 1600s. Uh, Clan Ewing is from Scotland. Scotland, eh? Yeah. And it goes all the way back to the William family of the Scotland Clan Ewing, and they were from the castle of something or another. And I thought, wow, I've fallen a long way. <laughs> acorns went a long way from the tree but uh what we're going to talk about today is the genealogy of Jesus a little bit and why well just like we research those things you want to know a little bit about your family don't you it's family it's history it's a little bit about you I want to I want to show you a little bit about the family of Jesus today because you know what we're the spiritual family of Jesus I want you to see a little bit about his physical and spiritual family in his lineage and how that is such an encouragement for us. So if you're there with me, let's start out in Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. The blank page before it, this is the first words of the New Testament, and it says this, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David and the son of Abraham. And Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers, and Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram, and Ram begot Abinadab, and Abinadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon, Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. And we'll stop there because that's all the farther we're going to get today. Okay. So as we go through here, last week we kind of saw that the son of David, the son of Abraham type portion of the genealogy. And that was about what? God keeps his promises. When he makes covenants, when he makes a pact with you, God keeps those promises. He doesn't let them go. He doesn't forget. He doesn't fail you. A promise is only as good as the one who's behind it. I've had a lot of folks make me promises. Some came through and some didn't. You've probably had the same experience. I've made promises and kept some and wasn't able to keep some. So we kind of look at promises sometimes in that view, but not with God. Because God cannot lie and he doesn't forget his promise and he always keeps his promise and it may not be in our timeline and we may not even see it, but he keeps it. 
And here as we move on from those promises, we see also this family. This family that, that Jesus has. And I am sure that as he studied the word, and as his earthly family taught him, this is your people And they're in the word of God all the way from Genesis through. And they would start with Abraham, the father of the nation, the father of faith, the one who began everything and talked about how he begat Isaac and how that Isaac then begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judah. And that's who I want to talk about first thing this morning is Judah. So turn in Genesis 38 if you have your Bibles with you. And I want to talk a little bit about Judah, because it says there that Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. I want to talk a little bit about that story. Put that down. Genesis 38. And thus begins the story of Judah. Judah, this story in Genesis 38 is right between the story of Joseph, it's right in the middle. And all of a sudden, while it's talking about Joseph and in the captivity and being taken out, right in the middle of it, we got this chapter stuck in there almost by mistake, it looks like, of Judah. And then as soon as this over, it goes right back on with Joseph. And it's like, what's that about? Joseph was a redeemer kind of guy. He was the one that's going to save the family from starvation and they're going to be down there in Egypt and God had to use him and prepare him. But the Redeemer came through the ones that he was redeeming and protecting. The Redeemer is going to come through his brother Judah. So that's what the real story is about. It's about the redemption that's going to come through this lineage of the ones who sold him into slavery. And it starts out that Judah is going to leave his brothers. And Judah's going to go and he's got a friend called Hira. He's an Adulamite. And he gets with Hira and they go. And he's down there around that country and he he runs into a guy named Shua. And Shua has this daughter. Oh, she's, she's a pretty little gal. And so he takes the daughter of Shua to be his wife. And it says that he went into her and he... He had a son and he named that son Ur. And then it says that he also went again and he had another son and he named that son Onan. And then a third time she conceived and she bore another son and his name was Shelah. And so it happened that he had these three sons and when they became of age, he arranged the marriage of Tamar to his oldest son Ur. And they got together. And before she was able to have a child, this son of Judah's was evil. And I don't know what he did because the Bible doesn't explain. But it says that he was evil and that the Lord slew him. And he was no more. So then it says that Judah, because his eldest son died, one of the laws that was kind of in place at the time to be able to raise up seed so that the family name goes on is the next brother in line. If, if his wife, if something happened to him and his wife hadn't conceived, the next brother takes that woman and raises seed up unto that brother of his and keeps the family name moving on through that way. And so Judah 
went to the second son, Onan, and he said, Take her to be your wife and raise up seed unto your brother. And he did, but he didn't do it willfully. He didn't want to. And so when they came together, it says that, that he emitted his seed upon the ground instead because he knew that it wouldn't be his child under his lineage, but under them. And so he didn't want to follow through with that. And it says that the thing displeased the Lord greatly so that the Lord slew Onan as well. Wow. Lots of stuff going on in this story, isn't there? So then Judah, he's got one son left and he's a young son. He's not yet old enough to get get married and to raise a family. So he's thinking that there's something shady. He doesn't realize that the Lord did this and it's because his sons were evil. A lot of times we don't know what's going on behind the scenes with the Lord, why he's doing things either good or bad. But his mind gets to rolling that I'm going to wait till he gets older, but then I'm probably not going to give him to her anyway, lest something would happen to him. So he goes to Tamar, and he says to Tamar, I want you to put on your widow's clothes, and I want you to go back to the home of your father, and when my son is old enough, I will bring him to you, and you guys can get married and continue on with this raising of the seed. He never follows through with the promise. He forgets about that. He, he leaves her because he's protecting his son and he lets that go. And it says that in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, the wife of Judah, passes on. And after his days of mourning when he's been comforted, it says that he's back with his friend Hira and they go, the Adulamite, and they go. And he's got some sheep over in that country. And he's going to go over there at sheep shearing time. And so he's going to go over there while they're shearing sheep. And he's going to see all of that. And then it says that as he went by the way, word went ahead to Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And said, Tamar, your father-in-law's coming through. And when she realized that Shelah was of age... And that he had not given her in marriage to Shelah. She got to thinking about that. And what she did was, was she had made a vow and, and done her part. But he hadn't. So she removed her widow's clothes. Wrapped herself up in some other clothes and a veil. And went out in an open place. And sat there and waited for Judah to come through. And as Judah come through, he spied her. And he went over to her and he said, may I be able to come into you? She said, what will you give me for that? Because he assumed that she was a, a harlot. And she says, what, what will you give me? And he said, how about a kid? One of my, one of my sheep. As after we're done with the shearing, I'll bring one of those to you. She goes, I need a pledge till then. I need something. Guess what? He hadn't kept his word with Shalah, has he? So she knows he's not going to keep his word, probably. That's in her mind. And so she says, what will you give me as a pledge? And he said, what do, you, what do you need? Oh, she was brilliant. Most ladies are. 
She said, I want your signet ring, and I want your bracelet, your cord, and I want your staff. Well, she knew that that was important stuff, and so that it would send, but that's not what she really wanted. She wanted to keep a hold of those. So he agreed, because he was in that mood. And he gave her those things, and she agreed. And guess what? He went on his way to go to the sheep shearing, but she had conceived. Just in that one time, she had conceived. I want to stop here for a moment, because as I was meditating on that section of Scripture, I know that there's a lot of folks in this world, and I don't know any, any of you here. I'm not saying that. I I, I try not to get into personal lives so that you would even think that. But I'm just saying that there's a lot of people in this world that makes a decision and maybe a one-time thing and then something like that happens. I want to tell tell you something. It's okay. Because when you turn your life back to God and when you follow in His ways after a bad decision, he's able to turn that into good. I can turn all things to work out to good. There was a purpose behind this because through this one one decision and one conception, the lineage of Jesus is going to come through this. So God can take any situation that you've been into And work it out for good. And I want you to know that. So. She conceives. He goes on. He he gets one of the kids. He fulfills this promise. And he tells Hira to take that, that kid back to the harlot. And pay and get his stuff back. So he goes. And. The men of the country, he can't find her nowhere. She's not around because as soon as that was over, she quickly went back home. She removed those clothes, hid them back, and put on her widow's garments again. Nobody knew the difference. Hira comes back with this kid and he's, he's saying, where's she at? I need to find her. So he starts going and asking some of the men of the village. Hey, where's the harlot that was sitting out in the open? Well, that's about like you and I when they start talking about our daughters. It's like, hey, buddy, there ain't no harlots around here. And who are you calling that? So he quickly rushes back off to Judah. And he says, hey, I tried. But man, the men of the town said, there is no such thing in this town And he said, Judah all of a sudden said, whoa, well, at least I tried. And I don't want to get us embarrassed by this situation. So let's just move on and forget it. And she can keep those things. I'll I'll make a new ring and a new staff and a new cord. So the process of time goes on. It's about three months later. Word comes to Judah. Hey, Judah, Tamar, your your daughter-in-law, you know how people like to talk. Tamar has played the harlot, and she's with child about three months by, the, by harlotry. Oh, he's mad. That upsets him. He's such an upstanding man, and that upsets him. So he says, you go and send for her and bring her to me, and we're going to burn her. They go and get her. 
But along the way, she says of his men, I want you to take these three items to Judah. While we're going there, I want you to take this ring, this cord, and this staff. And ask him to judge whose they are while we're in process of going there. And they bring those three things. And chapter 38 says he looked at them. And he discerned them that they were his. And he puts together that three months ago where I was. And she's been more righteous than I because I did not give my other son to her. And I got set up for it. And it says that he knew her no more in that kind of a way. But by... That one instance, it says that she conceived twins and went on to bear them. And their names were Perez. And I had it. Huh? Zara, yeah, the seed, the, the light, Zara. So, through Perez is going to come the lineage of Jesus. So as we sit here and think about families, this is Jesus' family. This is why he had to come to this world, isn't it? Because this world is full of bad decisions. This world is full of hurting people. This world is full of people that need a Savior. And this is his family. And he's proud of them. He's put it right there to start that this is my family. Then we move on. We go When you go back to that genealogy in Matthew 1, it starts going on again and it moves a little further. And then it talks about Salmon and how Salmon beget Boaz by one called Rahab. And I told you that the Jewish people didn't want to put ladies in the genealogy. It It was always through the lineage of the man and there was multiple wives sometimes through those, so the lineage was through through the man. But Jesus and the Holy Spirit chose to put these in here because of grace, because he wanted you to know the truth behind these things. So when it says that Salmon beget Boaz by the one who was called Rahab, that takes us on over to Joshua chapter 2. So if you're following along in your word and you want to keep doing that, we're going to be in Joshua 2 now and and. Chapter 2 and chapter 6. And in Joshua chapter 2, Moses is passed on. They're getting ready to cross over into the promised land. And Joshua's going to send some more spies over there to see the land. First time it failed, remember, when the 12 went over? Two came back with the good report. The 10 came back with the bad report. Well, guess what he does this time? He was one of the two, by the way, with the good report. He only sends two this time. He wants a good report and he sends two men that he's going to get a good report from. And he says, I want you to go over there and spy out the land before we go. And as you do, go especially to Jericho. I want you to go to Jericho. That's going to be the first place God's going to go. You know why? It's a walled city. It's it's the oldest city in the world. Most people think that's still kind of got ruins and remnants around there. It's walled, it's fortified, it's safe. But you know what? God chose that city to be the first one to show them that when I'm with you, you can do anything. The rest of it can be a breeze if you'll follow me. 
So they go and they get to the city. And guess where they stay? We're trending here. They stay in a place where it was a woman who was called Rahab. She was of harlotry in town. And her place was on the wall of the city. They've heard that the children of Israel are getting ready to come in. And so they've been watching. And someone goes to the king and tells him that there are a couple of men who have came into this town who are from the children of Israel and they're seeking to see what they can find because they want to overthrow us. And so the king, evidently they had followed him and knew where it was because the king went to Rahab and said, there were two men that came unto you. And we want them now because they are of the children of Israel and they're dangerous. They're trying to infiltrate. They're spies. They want to take us down. Well, she had put them up on the rooftop and she was making flax. She would make ropes is what they thought it was and cords. And she had hid them on her rooftop underneath all of these stalks of flax. And as the men were talking with her, she said, Behold, The men did come, but when the gates were getting ready to close at evening, they left. And I don't know where they've went, but if you guys start out right now and follow them, you might peradventure be able to catch them. They headed towards the mountains and toward the Jordan River. So the men went out and they closed the gate after them as they did that. And I want you to know that the scripture says that she went back up to the rooftop and it says that when, before they had laid down, she went up there and told them this. She said, we know that God has sent you guys here. And we know that you're coming across the river. We heard what you did to the other two kingdoms over on the other side with Sihon and Og. We know that your God is with you. Our hearts melted whenever we knew that you're getting ready to come this way. And then she says this. She makes her declaration of faith. Your God, the God of heaven. She said, I believe in that God. And I know that he is sending you. And I know that we are going to be conquered. So I ask you a favor. In faith, I'm hiding you out. Who is supposed to be the enemy of our people. I'm hiding you. So that peradventure you'll have the heart to save me. My mom and dad, my brothers and sisters, and my family. And the men said, if you will not divulge what we're here for, and if you will keep it a secret, and you will tie this scarlet cord outside your window. See, Judah had to give his cord along with his signet ring and his staff. Here's another instance of the cord It's going to be hanging down the scarlet cord. We're going to do a study on that one day. I'm bringing that up so you'll know that. This cord, if you will hang it there and you'll not say anything, then we will not harm you when we come. Well, they go back and they tell Joshua everything that she's told them, how that the people's hearts have melted and failed because they've heard all about them. And it... It raised their vigor. It raised their courage. They said, the Lord is on our side. He's already gone before us. For the victory is going to be ours. And they went across. And there's a couple of chapters in between. And then we get to chapter 6. 
In chapter 6, he tells them, here's what we're going to do. Here's what the Lord wants us to do. That big wall that's up there. He said, we're going to start walking around it. We're going to put the Ark of the Covenant out in front. We're going to put the priests on the ram's horns. We're going to have men out there. And we're going to march around that wall one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk seven times around that wall. I don't want you to say a word those first six days or that first six times around. I don't want no one saying a peep. We're just going to walk quietly and parade around that wall. And they did that. And I wondered what they were thinking on the inside as that was happening. But all we're told is, is on that seventh day and on that seventh trip, they shouted to the Lord and raised the horns and they went off. And it says that the walls fell flat. And they went up, each man straight up into the city, and they took the city. But before they did and before they hollered, Joshua said, we're keeping our promise. Rahab, he got the two men and said, you go to where her house was, and you pull them out and you save them, and we're going to keep our promise. And somehow the walls fell, and you remember it says that her house was on the wall. So, some folks like to say the wall was still standing, that there's still some sections over there of it. I don't know. The Bible tells me that the walls fell flat. So, I'm going to assume that that's why, because he said specifically, don't go in the streets, don't go walking around because we're going to come in after that, but you stay in your place. I'm thinking, and this is my looking at it from what the Word says, that those walls fell flat and God protected them while they were inside of that so that no one would think to look there of the city because they're all running to the inside for safety so that they could safely grab Rahab and her family out of that place and take them safely. But you know what? Salmon's name's never mentioned through that whole escapade. You don't find out that it was Salmon who was one of the two spies. And he was the one who had met Rahab and he fell in love with her while they were there. Even though she was a harlot. And whenever those walls fell and the promise was made. It says that they pulled the family out and kept them. And then you go a couple more chapters over to Ruth. And in Ruth chapter 4, the very last couple of verses of Ruth gets ready to go to to King David and it starts talking about Salmon beget Boaz Boaz beget Obed Obed beget Jesse who is the father of David the king you never hear that in that lineage because it was always just the man that it was Rahab that was the one that Salmon beget with to bring in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And so you get to Matthew chapter 1. And the Lord has the grace to reveal. That Salmon beget Boaz by Rahab. But he doesn't put that extra little thing on the end of it. You know why? Because she was a believer. Her sins are washed away. Far as the east is from the west. So that's not how she's known in the lineage of our Lord. It's just Salmon beget Boaz.
by Rahab, who had been. And then it says in Hebrews that it was by faith that she was able to do that. So what I'm trying to say is look at the messed up family that Jesus had coming from. But he was perfect. You don't have to let your environment dictate who you are and where you're going. You let your faith in God dictate where you, who you are and where you're going in this life. And I've still got a little time, so we're going to go to the next one. As that lineage we just talked about that goes on from Ruth, talked about all the way down to David, the king. So if you're still following along and you want to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it begins with saying that in the days and the times when the kings are going out to war, there's your hint of where David should have been. It says that David had sent Joab and his forces to go to war, but he had stayed in the palace. Then the next verse says that when he got up out of bed in the evening time. I want to stop right there. One of the worst things that can be said upon people and an individual is things like depression. Most scholars think that David was in depression right here. Whenever he writes in other psalms like Psalm 63, he'll say, early in the morning I awake to study your word and to praise you and to do these things. There's five psalms that talks about him getting up early in the morning. Here we see that he's been laying in bed all day. And he's waking up at nighttime, right at the evening. And he goes, and he's supposed to be been out in the field with his men. He's a great man of valor. He was always out at the war, so there's a reason why he's behind. And they think that's it. Know that through God, though, he takes that away. Because that's the story that we're getting ready to tell you. So he walks out to his porch and stands on the roof of his porch. And as he's walking out and he looks, he spies a lady taking a bath. And the scripture says that she was very beautiful. And if the scripture says that, I bet she was. I bet Bathsheba was one of the most beautiful women of her day. And it says that he began to ask about her and inquire about her. And somebody said again, Hey, she is the wife of Uriah. That didn't stop David. David sent some men and said, Send for her and bring her here. I want to inquire of her and I want to meet her. And it says that whenever they took and brought her to there, it says that he it went in unto her. And just in that one decision again, she conceived. He didn't know at first. He sent her back home. But word comes back. She sends word to David three months later again. We're trending in all these stories. Three months later, she sends word that I have conceived and I am pregnant. David begins a series of bad decisions. And we're going to talk about those, but before we do, I want to say that when, when you're outside 
of God. When you're not walking in grace, when he's not the focal point of your life, things can get haywire real quick. They really can. You need to keep him your focal point because David was a man after God's own heart. It says that in Acts 13, whenever they're reading that there. David, the Lord said, is a man after mine own heart. But at this point, David is not after God's heart. And something's going on with him on the inside. And he begins, the first thing, whenever we make a mistake and it gets brought out, the first thing we want to do is try to cover it over, don't we? We want to try to hide it. We want to push it under a rug. We want to go to any means possible to hide what happened Instead of saying, okay, let's face this, let's take it, let's move on in the direction that God wants to do because he can make it all right. But what he does is he starts to begin to make mistakes because he wants to cover it up. So the first thing that he does is he sins and says, oh, she's Uriah's wife. Uriah is where I'm supposed to be. He's one of the faithful servants. He's one of the high men in rank in David's army, he's a man of courage, a man of valor, and a man of integrity. And so David immediately sends a messenger out to the field where they're in battle. And they said, send me Uriah, the Hittite. Uriah comes and he presents himself before the king. And David, his scheme is to get Uriah to go home. And have a relationship with his wife so that then he can... Say, hopefully he won't do the math and he will think that it's his child and I'll be scot-free. No. This man of valor and integrity stands before the king and when he tells him to go to his house and wash his feet, that means make yourself at home and, and go on in there and stay for the while. It says that night that he goes and stays in the doorstep of the king's house with the king's servants. When it's told to David the next day what Uriah did, he calls him back up and he says, Uriah, why did you do that? Why didn't you go home like I told you to? And you know what he said? He said, my servant Joab is out there in the field. All of the master's servants, all of your servants, David, are where they're supposed to be. They're out there fighting. How can I leave my post and what I'm supposed to be doing and enjoy myself when they're sleeping in tents and in mud and facing battle and in harm's way? And you, no, I can't do that, David. So the plot thickens. David's got to do something. He's got to cover this up. The king can't let people know, even though probably word's already around. You know how it goes. I mean, he's already been sending messengers for her to bring him here. He's already been sending people to bring Uriah back. Somebody had to send the message from her to him that I'm three months pregnant. Believe me, word gets around. So everybody knows David. But him, he's still trying to cover it up. So he throws a party that night with Uriah in his honor. And he gets him drunk. And he keeps setting it in front of him. Drink some more. Drink some more. Because he thinks if I get him drunk, he will lose his integrity. And he will go home. 
And as I read that story, and I was thinking about it, it says that again he went and slept in the doorway with the servants instead of going home. And I wrote a note in my Bible that said, even a man in God's favor with his mind focused on God, drunk, made a better decision than a man who wasn't and was supposedly after God's heart but was outside of God's will and grace at that time. And the man who, who he had tried to intoxicate made a better decision than the man who wasn't. Just because of where your standing is in your mindset toward God. So when he doesn't do that, he has to say, how can I do this? How can I cover this up even more? So you know what he results to? Murder. He writes a note. He writes a note to Joab, the commander, his right-hand man. And he says, I want you to go to to the hottest point of the battlefield. And I want you to send Uriah's unit. And I want Uriah on the front line of the battle attacking the castle. And I want you to tell him to go and try to scale the wall and to take it. And I want him to perish. He signs it, seals it. Guess who he gives that letter to? Uriah. Uriah himself has to carry that letter to Joab. He's such a man of integrity, he doesn't even want to know what that letter says. He carries the letter faithfully. He gives it to Joab, not knowing that it's his death sentence. And Joab reads the letter evidently, and he does what King David asked him to do, and he puts him in the forefront of the battle. And they charge, and the archers from the wall kill him. So, Joab, and this is where Joab will have his his fulcrum against David the rest of his days. It won't be until David is gone and his son takes the throne that they do something to Joab because Joab has dirt on David. So, Joab sends a messenger back to David and he says, I want you to tell him this. If he gets angry, saying... Why did you use that strategy and tactic? Because remember, David is a man of war. David knows strategies and tactics. He knows how to go in and do things. And he says, if David gets upset with you saying, why did you do it this way and lose my men? Here's what I want you to tell him. Oh, by the way, your servant Uriah died in that battle. He'll know. Go tell him. And that's what happened. But yet, as we get ready to close, we said that David was a man after God's own heart, God said. Why? Turn with me to Psalm 51, if you would. Psalm 51. This may not affect you because most folks in here aren't like me. I need a lot of grace. For my life. Psalm 51 is just about this incident with Bathsheba and with what happened all around that and with Uriah. 
Psalm 51 explains the David afterwards. And it says this. Have mercy upon me, O God. Have mercy. According to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. He understood who God was. He's back into a right frame of mind. And I want everyone in here to realize this. No matter what you've done or where you came from. This is, this is the family of Jesus member writing to God when they're back in a right mind. And he says, I know who you are. And Lord, I want mercy upon me. Your loving kindness according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Please blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now listen to this next verse, verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. It took him a while to get there, didn't it? He kept trying to cover it. Folks, it says in Joshua, Behold, your sins will find you out. When we cover and we cover and we cover, they'll end up coming out. Face it first thing and ask for forgiveness and get God's grace going towards the direction of your life. Don't let it spiral in a wrong direction. I acknowledge my transgressions. 1 John 1 verse 9, that's why I'm always telling you that. If we confess, if we acknowledge my faults, he is faithful and just to forgive me of those things. I acknowledge my transgressions before you, Lord, but my sin is ever and always before me. Man, he couldn't get it out of his mind. I have myself and people talk to me about this same thing. It's hard to get things out of your mind, but that's where the battle is, folks. We've got to. We've got to get it out of our mind. Listen to what he says. My sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned. Wow, I thought it was against all these other folks too. No, you're only accountable really to one. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Then I'm going to go down to verse 7. Purge me, Lord, with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. This is something that we have to learn to do. Listen to what he says, because my mind is always on my iniquity and what's before me. He says this, make me hear joy and gladness. Lord, bring joy and gladness back into my life. My mind stays on the same train, on the same track of trying to take me down. Lord, make me experience joy. Take my sin away, but take the pain out of my mind as well. Make me experience joy and gladness, because right now my bones feel like they have been broken by the discipline that you're handing me. He says that my bones that you have broken, may rejoice. He has fallen so far, and his iniquity and pain in his mind makes him feel like it's worse than broken bones throughout all of his body. And he says, Lord, help take this away and make me see joy and rejoicing. Hide your face from my sins and turn them away. Blot out. All of my iniquities. Create 
in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence and please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore. Well, there's a lot of us that need restoring all the time, don't we? Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Lord, I was there once and I experienced it and I don't like where I'm at now. So Lord, make me get rid of this and help me to experience that same feeling of joy and the sins blotted out. Restore that salvation to me. Uphold me by your generous spirit. The Lord is generous, folks. He will do this. Then, when this happens, he made a vow. He said, then, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. And you know what that means? From that point, when David turned his life around... He became David the king, again, the man after God's own heart. And we still read about him today, and his story converts people. It doesn't matter where you've been, it's where you're going. And I'm going to tell you that when you can feel the joy of that salvation again upon you, then God wants to use you and your story that you have To tell others it's been in the same place that you were. So that you can help pull them out of that place. And do this. Restore me. And then I will tell them. And then sinners will be converted to you. Because they've seen what you were able to do with me. And my life from where I've been. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed. O God the God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousnesses. That's the God we serve, folks. The God we serve. And this is the family of Jesus Christ. And he wasn't ashamed to put it in there for us to know. And he studied these and he knew them and he knew what was going on. But let me tell you what. Guess what we are? We are also the children of God. You know it? It says in John chapter 1... Verses 12 and 13. It says that to those who will receive him. To those who will receive Jesus. He will give unto them the power. The might. The authority and the right. To become the sons of God. To those who believe in his name. The same lineage that shows all of that is supposed to show that we, in a spiritual life, are the same way and come from the same kind of stuff, but we are the children of God, and He restores salvation to our soul. And so as we get into this reason for the season and move on to another story next week about the coming of our Lord and His birth, This is why he came. Because he had a family that was as messed up as me. And he came for them. And to provide salvation for them. And he came to provide the salvation for you and I. Because now we are sons of God also. And in the lineage of him. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for this genealogy. Who would have known that this is really why these things are there? One of the reasons. One is to prove that Jesus is who he said and that you kept your promise all the way from creation to his offering. But the other reason is, Father, is to know that we're not different. We're not like, we're not, we're not worse than anyone else and beyond hope. But that we have the same hope that they had because of Jesus. And you have said that I don't care. If you will change your walk and if you will follow me, I'll take whatever that was. I took all of those mistakes and brought forth my Savior. I can take your mistakes. And I can bring you to glory too. And one day, we will be able to share eternity in heaven with you. Because of the coming of your Son. Thank you, Father, for giving Jesus all authority and the power to bring us who receive him. As sons of God. And I pray if there's anyone here who has not asked for that. If they have not received or accepted or desired Jesus to be their Savior and Lord. I pray that that bad decision doesn't keep getting made. And I pray that a good one is made this day. For today is the day of salvation. And I pray for all of us also who have made that decision for Christ. But may have made other decisions in life. To like David said in Psalm 51, restore me, Father, renew me. I acknowledge my ways and I ask that you bring back the joy of salvation instead of this breaking of bones and this misery that I've been under. And Father, we pray and trust that you will do that because you said you will and we know you keep your promises. And we ask all of this favor and blessing In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.